Today, if you would like to read with me from the, the Black Bibles or your own personal Bible, we'll be reading from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. In the Black Bibles, it's on page 947. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. My aunt said to talk very loud. I don't have the endurance. All right, let's go. Okay. Well, good morning. My name's Cam. So good to see you. Um, if I haven't met you, I would absolutely love to. Um, would love to connect and hang out. Um, I serve on the leadership team here, preach, come up here, talk every once in a while. Um, but yeah, we'd love to connect afterwards. Um, we are in a little series on Ephesians called God's Masterpiece, talking about the church. Um, and what we have this morning is the OG thoughts and prayers text. You know what I'm saying? Like when you have a struggle and somebody hits you up with the, hey, praying for you all the time. Or you see a grandma or an Aunt Judy. I don't know why I always use Aunt Judy, but Aunt Judy sees you. She hasn't seen you in a while. She says, I pray for you every day, sweetheart. I'm like, Aunt Judy, you're barely saved. You don't even go to church. And I doubt that I'm that somehow on your long list of intercessory prayer, you made it to camp. I just doubt it. I love it. I'm thankful for it, but I doubt it. And I do it too, right? Like you feel the guilt when you haven't seen somebody in a while and you're like, hey man, good to see you. Haven't thought about you in forever. That's what I'm thinking. But I say, pray for you all the time, bro, right? You guys do it too. Don't judge me, right? We all do it. But if there's one person who's probably saying, I pray for you all the time, it's probably Paul. And that's what he says, right? He, he, he starts his letter by saying, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and all your love for God's people, I have never stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So unlike a lot of the other letters that Paul writes, where he's correcting something or rebuking something, this one, he, it's an encouragement, right? He's saying, man, I heard about the way you guys love each other. Rumor has it, you guys are thriving, killing it. So I'm thanking God for you. And then he gets caught up. He doesn't just say, I'm praying for you, but he gets caught up in this spontaneous kind of crazy prayer. And we get this amazing window and picture into his prayer life. 
It's kind of like getting to see Steph Curry's shooting routine or like Denzel Washington get into character or like Patrick Mahomes stretch or something. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to appease the Chiefs fans out there. Um, thanks, Adam. Um, go Chiefs. I'm not a Chiefs fan at all, but you know, you guys out there, you are crazy. So Paul teaches us how to pray as we watch him pray. And what we saw last week is, uh, as Jeremy talked, Paul teaches us a lot about who God is, um, a lot of the things that he's done, and then in response to who God is and what he's done, who we are. And what Paul's going to do this morning is he's not necessarily going to teach us a bunch of new stuff, but he's going to pray that the Holy Spirit would make it real in our hearts, that it would move from our mind down to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's follow in his method here, and let's just ask God to meet us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you just as we are this morning. Some of us excited, pumped up, full of faith. Some of us weary and tired and discouraged and just rolling in here. But God, you are transcendent and all-powerful, but you're also deeply intimate and personal and tender and lowly in heart. So would you just meet us this morning? Would you shine light on your word this morning? Would it not just be a textbook or something that we've read a bunch of times, but it would, would it become what it says it is? Would it become living and active in this word that was written 2,000 years ago? Would it become relevant to our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit? So we just invite you, Holy Spirit. We say, come. We need you more than any information. We need you and we need your presence this morning. So we invite you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I listened to this podcast the other day uh, with this cultural commentator. Okay, so he's this guy named Brad Grossman, who basically just like for all the people that are becoming more and more irrelevant in the world, like me, he like kind of tells us like, here's the new cool things. Here's what's happening in the world. Here's this, here's that. Here's kind of the movement of culture and where it's going, right? And one of the things he said about COVID was really, really interesting. He said COVID, the, the pandemic itself, not the disease, but the pandemic was the ultimate illuminator. Okay, so he, he says that that marriages, they were already struggling. They were already kind of on the rocks and struggling. And what, what COVID did, what the pandemic did, is just shine light on it. It illuminated it and it, made, it, it didn't uh, cause it to be bad, but it revealed that it was already bad. Or the racial tension in our country, it's been bad. It's always been bad. But what the pandemic did is it slowed us down enough to actually illuminate it and reveal what was already true, right? It did this with mental health even. That now it's on, the, it's on the forefront of a lot of our conversations and minds. It's always been there. But what the pandemic has done is it's illuminated a lot of these things. It didn't cause it as much as we give credit for, but it actually just shined light on it. And in the same way, Paul is saying, all this stuff that you know, all this stuff that's true about you, whether you like it or not, it's true. And what you don't need is just to be taught it again. You don't just need somebody to tell you again and again that it's true, but you actually need the Holy Spirit, or what he calls the spirit of wisdom and revelation, or other versions would say wisdom and revelation from the Spirit to shine light on what is already true about you. Right? He prays that the eyes of your heart, or the inmost, deepest part of you, that the eyes of it would, would not be closed anymore, but they would be open to see and know who God is or what he says so not more necessarily, not some second blessing, not some big um, extra something, but just that it would reveal what's already true, that it would shine light into our hearts. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Nothing necessarily profound, 
or new, but the same stuff and asking the Holy Spirit to show it to us in a real way. And if you're considering following Jesus this morning, let me say that we're going to talk about all of the benefits of what it would actually look like to say yes to Jesus. This is a perfect picture of what following Jesus is actually all about. William Law says it this way, without the present illumination of the Holy Spirit, the word of God must remain a dead letter to every man, no matter how intelligent or well-educated he may be, unless the Spirit illuminates it, it's just dead words on a page. So we need the Holy Spirit. We don't need more information, but we need the Spirit. And when you need the Spirit and not more information, what you do is pray. You don't read another book, but you pray. And that's what Paul does, right? He enters into pray. And what he prays is really, really important. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, He prays the Spirit would enable us to know him better, And then three things about God that he wants us to be able to grasp and understand. So one that we would know him better, and then three things that we would actually grasp to understand about who he is. So he starts with this, right? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not just to know about him, not just facts and information, but that you would know him, and that you would know him better. And this word actually stems from this Hebrew word, which is this experiential knowledge, not just informational knowledge, but that you would experience God and who he is. And that we're actually at risk to knowing a lot about God. That's actually one of the scariest things about following Jesus. You can actually know a lot about him and miss him completely. And these are the people that Jesus confronted the most in his life and ministry, right? He would say things like this. You search the scriptures because you think in them is eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. He says, you, you, these people who know more promises, more Torah, more commandments than anybody else, he's saying, you know it all, but you've missed me completely, that you can know a lot about God. You can know a lot about these things, but miss him. And on the contrary, Paul, well, well Paul says this in another letter that he pens to a different church in Philippi. At the end of his life, at kind of the conclusion of his life, he, he writes this. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He says, nothing compares to really knowing him. He says, I've seen it all. I've tried it all. I've got all the religious fruit that you could ever produce. I've got all the accolades. I've got all of the schooling. He's a, he was a, like a genius of his time. And he says, I've got it all. And nothing compares to really knowing God. And why? Because just like that song we just sang, because he's actually that good. There's this story that's always fascinated me from this famous mathematician, uh, physicist, inventor, a bunch of other things, Blaise Pascal. And and he was kind of nominally Christian at this moment in his life. And then he has this radical encounter with the living God. Not some new thought or concept, but he actually experienced God. And And he actually recorded his experience And then he wrote it down on a piece of paper and he sewed it to his jacket that he wore all the time. He called it the memorial. Like, I'm never going to forget this moment with God. And he sewed it to his his garment. It's basically just like getting a tat today, you know? It was 1650. So it's like, what are you going to do? We don't have ink like that. So he got a tat. Or uh, put it in like the back of your phone screen or something. But he sewed it to his jacket. Maybe we should do that. I don't know. But this is what it said. In 1650, he said this. Talking about his encounter with God. Fire. 
God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the wise, security, security, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, you shall be my God, forgetfulness of the world and everything but God. He can be found in the ways taught in the gospel, greatness of the human soul. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is eternal life, that they might know you. So he's this scientist, this philosopher, dealing with high, elevated thoughts and understanding. What happened to him? Illumination. It got illuminated of who God really was. He knew about God, but all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit made God real to him. And this is what, you, you, can, you can catch this in a lot of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. We get a glimpse of his prayer life and what he cared about and what he asked the Father for. And he said this, For Father, you have granted, talking about himself, you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all of those who you've given. It says, Now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's eternal life, by the way. That is what we were made for, was to actually know God. Said another way in Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he says this, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That the Spirit moves the truth about God as Father from our head and something that I can think about down to my heart to a felt reality. And that's what he's doing here. He's asking the Spirit to reveal what is already true about us, that we might know that God is our Father. He says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I know this example is like way too played out, but I just went on my first daddy-daughter trip this weekend. Um, My little girl's 18 months old, okay? And she just started saying, like, daddy. Oh, my gosh. To hear her say, daddy, is the best thing in the world. But I was thinking about it this morning. It's really crazy that there's this just simple, when she gets afraid or nervous, whenever we're on our trip, she would just run to me and say, daddy. She knows nothing about me. Like, she doesn't even know my name, right? Like, she, like, like she literally knows nothing about me. She doesn't know how tall I am. She doesn't know where I went to school. Like, she knows nothing except for I'm her dad and she can trust me. So she runs to me. She says, Daddy. And that's what Abba, Father, actually, like, that's its closest interpretation. It's just this this simple, Papa, Daddy, I got nothing else except for you and I lean on you. And it's the Holy Spirit who puts this in us and it cries out, Abba, Father. And we're at risk in this cultural moment to actually missing all of this. Because we've got so much content. We've got more content than ever, right? Like the Bible Project has a video summary of every book in the Bible, which is amazing. And it tells us all about how it points back to Jesus. Like, it's incredible. I'm for it. We have podcasts that we can listen to. I can, I can leave my sermon, go hop on and put some earbuds in my, ear, in my ears and listen to a sermon in Portland, Oregon when I, on my way home. Like, it's crazy. I have so much content. There's books that are being pumped out like every week on how to follow God and know more about Jesus. But with all of the content, we are at risk of knowing a lot about God, but missing him and missing who he really is. Or we can end up listening and reading about everyone else's relationship with God, but miss our own invitation to really know him. 
And sometimes when we read the Bible, we even see it that way, that it's a book to tell us about how everyone else relates to God when it's not. It's about how we are to relate to God. We don't live in a world where some people like Moses get to go up to the mountain and then they come down and tell everyone else what God is like, but we have been invited into a personal relationship where we can know him. We were made to experience God. And experiencing God, well, it's directly tied to knowing things about him, right? Like I hope Blakely eventually starts to know my name and know a little bit about me, but there's this simplicity of knowing him. And then as we know him, we actually learn more things about him. An old theologian says this, to know God is also to know his benefits, right? So he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power towards us who believe. So he's going he's to walk us through three things that he wants us to actually know more about empowered by the Spirit. Not just know, but that the Holy Spirit would make these things real to us. So the first thing is this, what is the hope to which you have been called? It brings us back actually to the beginning of our faith. And I understand that it says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. But we have to understand that before we called, God called us. That, that, that God is actually the initiator in this whole thing. And our call has always been a response to his call of us the entire time. So I actually heard something the other day that middle school dances are like on the outs, which is just heartbreaking, like devastating, right? Like before COVID, they're on the outs because kids are like, why would I dance with someone when I can like play Fortnite, right? Which is just so disheartening and sad because I love middle school dances. It's like where you find out who you really are. Um, <laughs> but there was always these moments in middle school dances, right? Like you'd be bebopping around with your homies and then all of a sudden the music changes, gets a little slower. Like, oh no, here it goes. And all of a sudden, this side of the room looks over to this side of the room and they know it's time. You guys know what I'm saying? And what you would do is you'd, you'd, lock, you'd lock eyes with somebody across the room. And in every situation, there's an initiator and there's a responder. And as a sixth grade boy, it's very hard to be an initiator, but you gain up a little courage. You lock eyes, you give a little head nod, and you start to take a couple steps, right? You guys know if you went to middle school dances, this is what our kids are losing right now. It's, it's, it's so disheartening. But in our relationship with God, he, he's taken every single step towards you before you even thought about him. You're not, a, you're not an afterthought to him. But before you responded or called on him, he, he initiated. There's the initiating love of God that pursues us before we even think about him. And this calls us back to saying when he, when he called you, Romans chapter 3 says no one seeks for God, but that God sought us out. You didn't have to bring a resume. It wasn't a tryout, but it was completely based on God's love for you, not on yours for his. And he called you into a new and different hope. So Paul is saying, man, I pray that you'd be able to see the God who called you. And I have a friend who always says, we gain courage to move forward as we look back. So he's saying, look back at who God is and what he's done for you and how he's called you. Second thing he says is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? So if the call to this different hope makes us look back, the, the glorious inheritance actually calls us to the future, right? It looks at the end. He's saying, man, I pray that you would have this deeper understanding of what are the riches of your glorious inheritance. 
of his glorious inheritance, which is crazy, right? So, so, so scholars kind of dispute this every once in a while. They're like, what are we talking about? Are, are we God's inheritance? That seems unlikely. Um, or, or is he talking about the inheritance that we get to receive from God? So most likely it's both, right? So one, this is a crazy thing, but we are God's inheritance. One of the most frequent prophecies all throughout the Old Testament said this, and the days are coming when they will be my people and I will be their God. Think about what that says about your value to God and your inherent dignity of who he says that you are. He says that these are my people. In all your junk, in all your sin, in all your struggle, he's saying you're mine. You're my prize. You're, you're my reward at the end of the day. And that's what even makes this crazy, this sermon series so beautiful. Is it says that we are God's masterpiece, the church. The, the just struggle, the grind, the, the, the confusion and the division within the church that makes us all that we are. And he says, no, nah, that's, my, that's my body. That's my bride. That's my masterpiece. That's mine. I, I get to inherit that. That we are as a collective community, his prize and his people. So we are his inheritance. But we also get to receive his inheritance, all the riches of it, that one day the down payment of the Holy Spirit will come to fruition and we'll look back at, at all that God has called us to and we'll look forward to our inheritance, to what we, to what we get to experience someday, that we'll receive all that Jesus paid for. Our access to God will no longer be veiled, but we'll see God face to face. And it's not even this just individual party, but we come together as a collective community, right? It says among the saints is what the passage says. And as a collective people, we'll do what John says in Revelation and we'll say there will be a great multitude which no one can number from every nation, every tribe, every tongue standing before the throne of God. That the racial and ethnic and political tensions that now hang in the balance will be broken down as we stand before Jesus worshiping God as we were always made to do. And listen, Paul is not teaching this, but he's asking that the Holy Spirit would make this real, that we would actually anticipate this, that we would long for this and to see what are the riches of the glorious inheritance that we get in Christ Jesus. So calling us to our, so our calling makes us look back. Our inheritance makes us look forward. And the third section is the immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe. And that speaks to our right here, right now, lived experience. Jeremy said something last week that one of the richest themes in this book is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he also said that wherever the Holy Spirit is, is where God's power is. And wherever God's power is, that's where the Holy Spirit is. That those two things are synonymous when it comes to the scriptures. And that's actually what we see in what Jesus teaches, right? John 16, verse 7, he says this, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, he's talking to his disciples here, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, or other versions say the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, he won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. So let's just pause for a second, right? Jesus said a lot of radical things that made people's jaws drop and kind of be like, whoa, that was crazy. But can you imagine the disciples in this moment? They're like, finally, Jesus, we actually had some thoughts on how we could make this thing a little bit better. But you leaving, not on, not on my radar. Like, that's not what I'm thinking is going to make this thing go forward. 
But as we follow Jesus and we follow what he says, this actually is exactly what happens. He goes to the cross on his own accord. He lays down his life. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He pays the penalty for all of our sin and shame and punishment that all of our junk has required of us. Then he is, is killed on the cross. He is buried, raises again on the third day to defeat death and sin and all of its power. And then he reveals himself to his disciples and his last charge to his disciples, this is what he says. I'm going to send you what my father promised, talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus, after everything he did, right? Like your last words matter. Like my last words before I, before I leave this earth, they're going to really matter. These were his, some of his last words to us. He says this, big final charge, go to the city and wait. Like, bro, seriously? Like we just saw you raised from the dead and you're going to tell me just go to the city and wait. He says, yeah, go wait for power. Go wait for the Holy Spirit. One of our temptations in this day is just to go out on our own strength, to go. Jesus is encouraging us, inviting us to say, wait for the Holy Spirit. And all of the book of Acts after this, it could basically just be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does in and through his people for the rest of the story, right? Acts chapter two comes and and, and what launches God's story into its next scene is the Holy Spirit coming. And he empowers this guy, the, the same guy that literally just denied Jesus three times around a fire to some 12-year-old girl who didn't go to her middle school dance. And then the next thing that we see is the Holy Spirit empowering him. And all of a sudden, he's preaching the gospel. And 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. Talk about a transformation. And all it was, that the big shift was the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit empowered him and that he came. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, man, I just pray that the eyes of your heart would be open to see the power that you have. That Jesus lived the life you were supposed to live. Not not only that, but he died the death that you were supposed to die. Not only that, but he ascended from heaven, defeating sin in the grave. Not only that, but then he sent his very own life and energy to pulse through your veins so that you might live, look, and love like he does. So it sounds great, right? You're like, man, that's great. You look at your own lived experience and it's like, man, it's not that. (laughs) Power from on high? Just trying to make it through my day. He says this, then he keeps going, right? As he he prays, he has this beautiful explanation of who Jesus is. And this actually helps us understand of how we actually access this power, okay? He says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So as Paul prays, just see where he takes our eyes. He doesn't take it to our circumstances and our situations, but he lifts our eyes to Jesus. That as we see Jesus for who he is, we actually get to see ourselves for who we are. Powerless. I got no power. Look at him. And when you look at the the subject of this entire passage, it's him, his great power, according to his great might. When he was raised from the dead, he's saying, look at him. It's all about him. It's not about you. 
So this morning, if you feel like helpless and hopeless and powerless, you're right on track, actually. You're far closer to experiencing the Holy Spirit than if you think that you can do it. If you feel really confident in yourself right now, that's actually the scary place to be. Because in another letter, Paul explains that God's power is actually made perfect in our weakness, not in our strength. And that's what he calls him, right? He said he's the helper. So you know your, your qualification for experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, your one qualification in that regard, is acknowledging that you actually need help. Your experience of the Holy Spirit is directly tied to your acknowledgement of your need. See, because in every other area, we're taught by culture and everything else to put your best foot forward, to present yourself as your best. Even when you come in here this morning, you're tempted to put on this strong look on the outside like you have it all together. We're taught to make it on our own, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, do it, make it happen, be self-made, be big, be important. Can I say that that attitude, the spirit of our age, actually hinders us from experiencing the Holy Spirit? See, because the goal of following Jesus is never to impress God, but to surrender and yield to him. And I know that rubs up against all of the other things that people tell us, but it's only possible as we embrace our weakness. So as I close here, I think there's two invitations for us this morning. One is to have a bigger view of God to allow the Holy Spirit to break out of the boxes that we might have him in, to see the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, to see the gap between our lived experience and what we see in the scriptures and to pray into that gap, not to avoid that gap and try to make some kind of thought-provoking thing on why that gap is there, but to actually see the gap and to pray into the gap and say, God, there is something there that I am missing and I want it and I need it. That little bit of hunger that's in you right now, maybe that's just saying, I want more, to just keep throwing logs on that fire and say, God, I want more. God, I want more. To pray into that gap. To not settle for a boring Christian life. That God, through his Holy Spirit, is still healing, is still, still delivering, is still restoring, is still causing and bringing about revival. That his power has not stopped, but it's just as active and alive as ever. So there's one invitation to, to, to just feed that little bit of hunger that says, I want more. Second invitation is just to learn to surrender. That God is not just the God of the big breakthroughs, but he's the God of the ordinary and the day-to-day. So even right now, I actually just want to practice this. As As we look at what it looks like to invite the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit into our ordinary, average moments, I want to lead us through a little bit of a breathing prayer, which might be a little bit weird, but if you would, would you just close your notebooks or your Bibles and just put your hands out on your lap and close your eyes? I saw we were clapping earlier today, so we've got, we've got some kind of body movement going on, so we're doing good. But um, yeah, if you just, just take a deep breath, center yourself. And I just want you to even think right now with your eyes closed, just, just what's on your plate? What's, what's burdening you right now? As you think about your future, what's scaring you? As you think about your past, what brings you shame and regret and fear? 
And here's a simple breathing prayer I just want you to do. I want you to, as you take deep breaths, I just want you to inhale. And as you inhale, I want you to say, I can't. And as you exhale, I just want you to say, but, but Jesus, you can. And you inhale, you say, I can't. As you exhale, you say, Jesus, you can. Can't. 